And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Hello and welcome to the Force 5 Podcast. I am your host, ex-video store clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow list nerd, Jason Kleberg. And today's guest is Tim Viegas. He's the communications director for the MCIE, or the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. And the topic Tim chose was an interesting one, top five characters with disabilities. So get your brain moving around what might be on your list, but first... We've got to talk about last week's show and a few films that I've got some thoughts on that I saw this past week. Last week saw Phil Iskove and I talk about our top five movies about writing. I had a bunch of people reach out through Twitter and Instagram for movies that should have made our lists. Over on Instagram, Jonas Reddy Nicholson says Nocturnal Animals, which I have not seen yet, but Jake Gyllenhaal is always amazing. Unique PNW says, Love Misery, it's so good. Another good one was The Great Gatsby with DiCaprio. Have not seen that one yet. Is that one I should watch? Let me know. Fear of a Doug Planet and my boy Pita Beta both said Patterson. Paterson? Patterson? The Jim Jarmusch film about poetry. I've not seen that one yet either. And we also had a lot of people say, We really missed the mark by not putting Barton Fink on there. And uh, say what you will, it just didn't make my top five. Again, if you want to participate on the show, uh, I post these questions every week on Twitter at Force5Pod, on Instagram at Force5Podcast. So get your opinion in there and you might make the show. All right, honestly, things I've been watching. I saw a handful of movies this past week that I want to talk about. I'll try to be quick with two horror films and then I'm going to finish up with a holiday movie. After watching Vinegar Syndrome's release of The Laughing Dead, I decided I wanted to watch some more satanic cult films. And this one was recommended to me on Twitter. Tom is 19, Nancy 17, and Hank 21. They had a good time for a while, but now they're missing. It all started as innocent fun. The van, the drinking, the turn-ons, until they crossed the county line. They crossed the line into a lonely community where anything can happen where anyone can disappear without a trace. And now, from the pages of John Russo's best-selling novel, the story becomes a motion picture, Midnight. It was also released in certain low-budget theaters as The Backwoods Massacre. This was written and directed by John A. Russo, writer of the classic Night of the Living Dead, and with a tagline of a startling and shocking adventure as three college students take a strange detour to the land of the living dead. How could it disappoint? Well, it found a way. It's uh, slow, mean-spirited, and just generally uninteresting. The main draw for me watching this one was that Tom Savini had done the special effects, choosing the opportunity to work on this instead of Friday the 13th Part 2, and that had me intrigued. Unfortunately, the bulk of the gore is machete throat cuts that look great, but are few and far between. The opening scene in this extended cut is pretty promising. We hear some screams over an open field, only to discover a girl who's been overpowered by a group of youngsters. Their mother looms over them, approving of their actions, and then we cut to a satanic sacrifice, and I was legitimately intrigued. Unfortunately, the initial excitement will soon fade, as over half the movie is a bland road trip. We spend an interminable amount of time with Tom and Hank. Yep, Tom Hanks 
Two guys who have clearly never seen a map of the United States because they agree to take Nancy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to California on their way to Florida. They can barely tolerate her and duck local law enforcement because they're stealing food from grocery stores along the way. When we see the country bumpkins that they run into, uh, it's two typical deliverance yokels, a normal looking woman, and a rotund guy who does nothing but laugh as he saunters around the forest like a demonic hamburglar possessed with the soul of a hyena. There's really nothing that makes any of them stand out aside from Cyrus's annoying cackling. Although the reveal of their mother was pretty effective late in the film. As a final girl, and I put that in quotes, Nancy really doesn't do much aside from tag along until she's captured. Near the end, she finally gets to fight back, but by then it was too little too late, especially considering who comes to her rescue. For most of the movie, she's either in the back of a van or in a dog cage. She leaves town after her drunk stepdad, played by Lawrence Tierney, tries to rape her. The scene is unsettling, but it's also backed by this low-key, upbeat tune that you might hear in the waiting room of a doctor's office, as if we're not supposed to take it too seriously. She gets out of the situation by hitting him in the head with a portable radio, with less force than it takes to loosen the lid on a jar of pickles. It was just a bad scene all around, but perfectly sets the stage for the mediocrity ahead. The film is full of stupid characters playing overt stereotypes and isn't good enough to sit with the upper echelon of backwoods psycho films. Deliverance, The Last House on the Left, Southern Comfort, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were all obvious influences, but it never does anything new, fun, or interesting with the premise. What we're left with is a bland road trip movie that never gets as wild as it could have. This one is an easy skip. The Severin disc looks nice, it was pulled from a fresh 4K scan of the original negative, and I think this is the first time this film has been released uncut in the United States, if anywhere. There are a few interviews included with the disc that I have not seen, and unfortunately, it lacks any commentary tracks. The other horror movie I saw this week is a new one, 2021's Honeydew. Keeping the camping theme going, we've got a bickering couple that heads out into the woods on a camping trip. When they're kicked out of their campsite in the middle of the night, they are forced to walk through the remote wilderness and stumble upon an old woman's house. She invites them in for what could be their last supper. I'm going to try and be as vague with this as possible because if you're interested in seeing Honeydew, it's best to go in blind. This stars Malin Barr as Riley, an aspiring botanist. She and her boyfriend Sam, an aspiring actor played by Sawyer Spielberg, yes, Steven Spielberg's son, head out to the wilderness to check out an area that has been plagued by a wheat spore. After some shenanigans, they find themselves at an old house in the woods, one reminiscent of the Hewitts in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Once inside, they meet the old woman's son, Goonie, an invalid who suffers from seizures and watches a fuzzy black and white TV all day. Honeydew has some really great elements, the editing is exotic, and the sound design is quite haunting. The sound cues and purposeful cuts add a fantastic layer of tension and just generally made me feel uncomfortable. The camera also moves in interesting ways. The craft behind Honeydew was top-notch. Ultimately, as you start to get used to the filmmaking techniques, the story we're left with isn't that interesting. It's like watching the Hewitt family from TCM on their day off. It goes to some pretty weird places, but it's not that unexpected if you're paying attention. In reviews I was reading, somebody online had mentioned a twist, and I just never saw that aspect of the film. I didn't think there really was a twist. The last act kind of drags on a bit and promises some insanity, but never really delivers on that. I think the filmmaker Devereux Milburn is a really talented guy. He certainly has an eye for atmosphere, but atmosphere can only get you so far. I think this film started out much stronger than it ended, but I'm looking forward to what he does next. And if you're avoiding this because Lena Dunham is in the cast, don't worry, she's only in the film for like two minutes and you probably won't recognize her anyway. Regardless, uh, Honeydew didn't really connect with me, but if you're looking for something with great atmosphere and great sound design, 
Honeydew from 2021 might just hit the mark. All right, on to some holiday movies. I did see 8-Bit Christmas streaming right now on HBO Max, and I thought that one was pretty good, but that's not the one I want to talk about today. The one I want to talk about is the uh, reboot slash sequel, Home Sweet Home Alone. Twas the night before Christmas vacation. And the fun was in full swing. You have split our family onto two separate flights. Mom! Max, please! The family left for their big vacation. Is that everyone? The cars are leaving now! But forgot one little thing. Mom? Dad? Uncle Blake? They don't even know I'm here. They don't even know I'm here. My mom and dad have gone to Tokyo. I'm totally on my own. You do realize that my 10-year-old son is at home by himself. You just assumed Max was on the other flight. We didn't take a census. A kid is left home alone when his parents go on vacation. Across town, a family is going to be forced to sell their house because they can no longer afford it. All of them cross paths because of a doll with an upside-down head. There's a moment in Home Sweet Home Alone when a completely unnecessary side character exclaims, Uh, this is garbage. I don't know why they're always trying to remake the classics. Never as good as the originals. As he watches what we can only assume is an in-film sci-fi remake of the original film's film within a film, Angels with Filthy Souls. He says it with a wink to the audience, but jokes like that only really work if the film is good. And Home Sweet Home Alone isn't good. In fact, it's terrible. I'd love to see the original script for this movie because it feels like there was a pretty decent premise originally that later morphed into what we saw on screen. My theory is that the film started as kind of an anti-Home Alone, with antagonists that you kind of like and a rich kid who you really dislike. But what we got was a film that wanted us to both like the antagonist and the kid because of a misunderstanding, and I ended up just hating everyone. It tries to be a remake of the original with added empathy for the villains, and that just doesn't work. The gist of this one is that there's an extremely unlikable kid named Max, and his rich family goes to Japan for Christmas for some reason, but they leave him behind. The day before, he was at an open house and saw a doll, which the owners, Pam and Jeff, later find out is worth nearly a quarter of a million bucks. The money would really help them out because Jeff is out of work and their house is reluctantly put up on the market. But after Max leaves, the doll is missing. They think Max stole it, which pits them head to head with the little jerk and a bunch of violent traps as they try to get their doll back. In any remake, especially a remake of a film with as much reverence as Home Alone, there are going to be moments of what they call fan service. Callbacks to the original that tell you, hey, we like the old movie and we're guessing you do too. So here's something to make you hit the person next to you and say, hey, remember in the original when they did that too? They ape a lot of the original here, but it just feels weird. Less like the filmmakers are nudging fans of the original and more like something like this happened in the original, so I guess we need to put it in this one. The worst example of this happens when a kid named Ollie, who is just the worst, at the end of the movie does the good old Kevin McAllister face that felt absolutely painful. Or the fact that McAllister Security is their security company, as if nearly getting murdered twice as a child while fending off bad guys with flamethrowers and Hot Wheels somehow translated into becoming a competitor to ADT. In order for this film to work, they needed to have a villain, and it should have been the kid. Make him a jerk. Make them a thief. Give the Mackenzies a reason to get into the house and get what they need and make them work to avoid the traps instead of falling for every single one, like a redo of Marvin Harry. 
This movie left me with a bad taste in my mouth. It feels like a blatant cash grab with zero heart, no soul, and it's just not fun. When it's over the film's messages, essentially, as long as you have money, everything will be fine and you'll be happy, which is a lot different when contrasted against the previous film I watched, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. It fails as a remake and bombs as an homage. It's the worst of both worlds, and I cannot recommend this to anyone, especially fans of the original Home Alone and its first sequel. But don't let that terrible Home Alone movie get you down. It's the holidays, and there's one toy that is going to be on everyone's Christmas list this year from today's sponsor, the Turbo Man action figure. You've seen Turbo Man go up against Dementor on TV. You've seen him in the Wintertainment Parade, but have you seen him flying around your living room? This action figure has arms and legs that move, a boomerang, the rocking rolling jetpack, and a voice activator that says five different phrases. Head to your nearest KB Toys and let them know the Force 5 sent you for a confused look from the 17-year-old working there along with a free booster figure with purchase. Now I know what you're thinking. No one wants Turbo Man's faithful tiger sidekick, but hey, give it to the kid you like the least in the neighborhood. It's the gift that says, I tried. Kinda. This Christmas, it's turbo time. Accessories sold separately, batteries not included. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Today I'm joined by the Director of Communications for the MCIE, or the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, Tim Viegas. He's also the co-creator and editor-in-chief of the Think Inclusive blog and the Think Inclusive podcast, doing very important work every single day. Tim, how are you? Jason, I am fantastic and very happy to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I think this is a really great topic for the show and one that nobody had brought up before. And I think it, like normally we'll save the plugs and stuff until after the show, but I think the work that you do every single day ties in greatly to the topic. So why don't you just tell us about your work? Maybe tell us about what MCIE does and what the Think Inclusive brand is all about. Sure. Yeah. So um, um, like you said, I'm the director of communications for MCIE. Uh, I've been in this role for a little over a year. Um, it'll be a year and a half, you know, creeping up um, in t uh, 2022. And essentially what we do is we partner with school districts around the country to learn and train teachers how to include students with disabilities in uh, general education classes. And, you know, if you're not kind of already um, have some knowledge about how special education works or, you know, uh, if you have a, you know, disabled person in your life or a family, you may not even realize that students with disabilities are often separated and segregated uh, by disability in public schools. And I know I didn't when I was in school. I went to private school, you know. Um, and so it wasn't until, you know, I got into college and um, started becoming a, when I was a special education teacher that I realized how separate schools were. Sure. And so what we really do is um, train not only teachers, but uh, district administrators and a whole school system on how to be more inclusive. Our focus is with students with, with uh, disabilities, but uh, we're really about all students. So, you know, students who are considered gifted, um, uh, students um, who are uh, English language learners or 
students who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, you know, where at, whatever the student, however they're marginalized, because there's a lot of a lot of uh, students that that happen to be that way. Sure. Uh, we um, we train on how to be more inclusive for the school system. I was uh, always trying to find ways to be more inclusive as a teacher, and I didn't find the resources that I wanted. So I created Think Inclusive as uh, as a blog and a podcast to really feed myself <laughs> because <laughs> I I'm like you know I know there's got to be other people out there, other educators out there like me who want to know how to be more inclusive and think more inclusive, um, and I. It have just been so fortunate to meet tons of different educators who have the same passion, um, families, and also um, even mo- more importantly, uh, people with disabilities who he- have either been included in school um, and it was a great experience for them, or uh, people who have been excluded and said, you know what, I didn't need to be in that segregated special education class down the hall or in the bungalow like across you know the field well it's great work that you do very important work the podcast is is a great way to reach more people too i know that your guests include educators authors activists just all kinds of really cool people so folks definitely check out the think inclusive podcast after you get done listening to this episode and we're going to be talking about top five characters with disabilities on this one and uh, just so many great disabled characters in movies. I'm excited to share our lists here pretty soon. Uh, Tim, what are some of your favorite films that wouldn't make our list today? Just to give people a bit of a a bit of an insight into your taste. This was such a hard question, <laughs> Jason. It's kind of like <laughs> asking me like what my favorite song is. <laughs> right, so, I know it's tough. Uh, it's tough, but um, so the, the ones that rolled right off the top of my head um i love uh silent film and so metropolis is probably like in the very very top of my list all right um i can't say that i've seen it like a hundred times because it's it's long uh but i will say that it made a huge impact on me uh singing in the rain um i'm a big musical guy um singing in the rain was uh you know tops the list as far as like uh, musical comedies and stuff like that uh, also really anything by alfred hitchcock but especially rear window okay um, cool and uh rope like the both of those it's not really evident in what i'm talking about right now as far as my top films but i do like the horror genre and i think get out is one of the most fascinating uh horror films uh, recently um, so that was one of my favorites. And then uh, to round it out, Spirited Away is also one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I, I love animation and uh, that the story and the animation is, is just beautiful. So I think, you know, that rounds out my taste a little bit as far as top movies. Well, it seems pretty eclectic. We got silent films. We've got animation. We've got horror films all over the place. In terms of my list criteria... I'm not sure how you approach this, but I went with characters that felt like a celebration of their disabilities, meaning that these characters on my list used it as a strength when others might have seen it as a weakness, or characters whose disability was central to making you think about its effect on the narrative. 
So I do have a combination of physical disabilities and mental disabilities. What was your criteria going into this list? And did you have a mix of both or were you mostly on one side? Originally, when I pitched this idea to you, um, I was thinking characters who were actually disabled. I'm regretting not having the percentages, but uh, I can just tell you that people who play disabled characters in film who actually have any sort of disability it's 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 real low (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it is real low uh and it's something that um has been on top of mind for me uh just because at think inclusive we we write about um media sometimes it you know it's not the only thing we write about uh, but we do write about Uh, disability representation in media and it is kind of been a hot topic lately uh, in the disability community so that was my original intent but then I realized that was it was really limiting it was (laughs) so (laughs) um so I did mostly choose those for my um for my top five uh, and I have a ton of honorable mentions you know, I thought about that too, and as I look at my list now, only one in my top five was actually disabled. Just like you, I looked for those, and it just didn't have a big enough pool for me to choose from for my top five, but I'm really interested to hear the ones on your list now. So I guess with that being said, Tim, are you ready to get to the list? I'm ready. I think I'm ready, Jason. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening right now? Top five characters with disabilities. Tim, why don't you start us off? What's your number five? Okay, so this like barely makes the list. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say I had a, I had a little bit of a moral um, quandary with Ooh. including it, but but I'm going to, I'm gonna start us off with, I'm gonna start us off with that moral quandary, and it is actually the. 150 disabled cast members in The Ringer. Every few years, out of millions of competitors around the world, only one special athlete will cross the line. From Fox Searchlight Pictures comes the thrill of victory and the agony of deceit. We are going to fix the Special Olympics. Jeffy, highly functioning, developmentally disabled. All right, look at you. <laughs> All you have to do is act like one of them. Jeffy, go, go for cuckoo bus. Not exactly a major stretch for you. Go for gold. <laughs> go for gold. That guy's the Deion Sanders of retards. Oh, my lanta. You can't park here. It's a handicapped spot. Well, you're handicapped. For people who are physically handicapped. No, I don't think so. Excuse me, my friend here has an IQ of 38. We can park here, right? Let the games begin. Okay, so Johnny Knoxville, um, and forgive me for not uh, remembering his his character's name other than um, Jeffy, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. Johnny Knoxville plays a um, kind of a corporate uh, guy trying to go up the corporate ladder, ask for a promotion, and the his boss is like, "Sure, I'll give you a promotion, but you got to fire the janitor." He goes and he um, talks to the janitor and is like, 
trying to fire him and the janitor is like i'm sorry i, I you know i need this job uh and he, the janitor ends up going to the hospital and so johnny knoxville is like well i feel responsible for him this operation that this janitor needs is going to cost a lot of money so and i owe them my bookie a bunch of money so i'm going to pretend to be a athlete in the special olympics and wow. my bookie is going to i know <laughs> moral quant hold on <laughs> so the bookie <laughs> so he pretends to be a disabled athlete uh he goes to the special olympics and um is trying to win the special olympics and then whoever bets on you know the the athlete would win and then he could pay for the janitor's surgery. Like right. the, the the premise is absolutely oh my gosh ridiculous, right? <laughs> um, and I remember um, I just recently I recently re you know watched this film um, because I knew I was I wanted to talk about it. Uh, but the first time I watched it, I think it came out in the mid two thousands maybe, and um, I think it was before I really even you know like I started thinking inclusive in two thousand twelve. And so, you know, mid mid 2000s, I was still like an early in my career as a teacher. And so I wasn't really as sensitive, I guess, as, you know, like if this sure. movie came out now, you know, I'm sure there'd be lots of problems. But the thing is, is like <laughs> when it came out, um, Tim Shriver, the I think the I'm, I'm not sure if he still is, but the CEO of the Special Olympics actually came out and endorsed the film and the reason is because they included so many disabled cast members and in fact i think to this day uh it's the largest number of actually disabled cast members in a movie um and so uh what ends up happening in the movie is he uh uh john knoxville pretends to be this you know um uh, cognitively uh, disabled or intellectually disabled um, athlete named Jeffy. Um, and you can just imagine what that would look like and sound like. Right. But um, he ends up being um, thrust into the life in the world of all of these uh, disabled athletes. And uh, you know, they're just like everyone else, you know, right. they, um, you know, they love to listen to music. They love to party. They, you know, they're, they're foul mouthed. They make jokes and they're just, you know, so like their, their disability is just, um, part of who they are. And, um, the, the Jeffy character ends up being the ones, uh, that looks weak and, uh, and is shameful. You know, and, you know, the 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 story ends up that um, he you know, the the athletes, the disabled athletes in the Special Olympics um, competition um, easily find out that this guy is not actually disabled. Sure. <laughs> and so they're like, they're like, what are you doing? You know, and in the and so Jeffy, the, the character is like really uh, conciliatory. But uh, what ends up happening is uh he realizes uh, the humanity of the people that he thought, well, he was so much better. I mean, I'm just going to go and win this competition without even thinking about how hard these athletes actually work to be there. And so it really elevates um, those stories 
um, despite the the in poor taste a, a lot of the um, a lot of the jokes and especially the Jeffy character. So when I say that it barely makes my top five, the reason is because I have a hard time saying that it's necessarily my favorite, but I think it's important to highlight it and to look and, and watch the, the film in that light. You know, when you first said The Ringer, because I know about the movie, I've just never seen the movie. When you first said The Ringer, I was like, ooh, that's an interesting, bold choice. But uh, the way that you describe it, you've kind of won me over in its inclusion on this list. So it sounds like it it really highlights those disabled folks versus the Johnny Knoxville character. And, and uh, I guess that's what they set out to do. Oh, yeah. If you just read like the premise, you're just like, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to hell. <laughs> I'm going to watch this movie and go straight to hell is what's going to happen. <laughs> I can't imagine this movie would ever get made today, but 2005, the world was a little bit different. Okay, let's uh, let's go over to my number five. And for my number five, I will also go with somebody, the, the one on my list who is or was because he's passed away now, disabled. This is a film that I think is probably going to be the least likely that anybody listening will have heard of. This is a film from 1978. It's an exploitation film called Mr. No Legs. And the character is Mr. No Legs. You are about to see scenes from an unusual film about an amazing man. for not wanting to take a leave of absence, can we, sir? Well, under the circumstances, would you? Not until after I got the killer, sir. This man who called me, I don't have to beat him up, I just pay him money. He says there's a leak in your territory. You plan on starting your own operation here? You will never forget Mr. No Legs. Don't miss it. The title sounds pretty insensitive, but let me tell you about this character. So this is also a, an odd movie because Mr. No Legs in the movie is this mobster's enforcer, or he's like, he's like a drug dealer slash mobster, and his enforcer is Mr. No Legs. He's only in the film for about 10 minutes, but they named the movie after him. It would be like if we called The Godfather Luca Brazzi instead of The Godfather. Uh, the the film itself is just to give you the setup. It's about this pair of cops named Andy and Chuck, and they are looking for the drug dealer who killed Andy's sister and then made it look like an overdose. So they run into this this guy, Mister No Legs, and it was played by Ted Volrath. And Ted Volrath, this is his only acting role. He was a double amputee from his time in the Korean War and was the first person ever to earn a black belt in karate while confined to a wheelchair. And he gets to show his skills off in this film with his karate. Uh, as the enforcer, he uses all kinds of cool tricks to get rid of people who are trying to come up on his drug dealer. Um, he uses these uh, ninja stars that are like attached to the side of his wheelchair at one point. What? Yeah, I'm telling you why. So like the the um the hubcaps basically on his wheelchair, he has these removable ninja stars, and there's this scene at a pool where the I think it's like four or five guys try to assassinate him. The first one runs up, he takes him out with the ninja star. The next one comes up, 
And he's like, you know what? I don't even need the chair. He jumps out of the chair and starts using his karate skills. And he starts taking people out while he's, you know, half their size at this point. There's one point where two guys throw him into the swimming pool and he brings them with him into the pool and ends up being able to choke them out in the pool. And to add to this dude's level of badassery, he has two double barrel shotguns implanted in the armchairs of his wheelchair. So when things get real, he pops these suckers out and lets the lead fly. Overall, the movie, it's an average exploitation movie at best. It's got a really cookie cutter plot and it's got a pretty decent car chase. But the Mr. No Legs character is awesome. And I think they probably made the right move by advertising it with him in mind, because other than him, the movie's pretty forgettable. But a little <laughs> bit more about the actor, Ted Volrath. He, in the early 70s, became a karate grandmaster and from his wheelchair learned all kinds of different karate techniques and ended up founding the martial arts for the Handy Capable uh, organization, which was dedicated to teaching the martial arts to dis disabled people. So he did a lot of great work in the self-defense community for disabled people and just decided one day to show his skills off in this movie. <laughs> and, and it is like a really great small role that has always stuck with me. And it's one of the first people that came to mind when you brought this topic up. It was like, ooh, I got to have Mr. No Legs on there because he was awesome. Mr. No Legs. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I have to see this film. Just go on YouTube and search Mr. No Legs. You will be able to see his fight scene. I can guarantee it on there. Uh, it, it's something else. It's really, really good. Wow. Okay. This is awesome. So that so that would be your one 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 character that is actually disabled. Yeah, yeah, he was actually a double amputee. Yep. Okay. All right. Number four. Okay, so I'm gonna go with it is actually the recent film by uh, Disney uh, called Luca. We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it. Everything good is above the surface. Walking, air, <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. <laughs> Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. today hmm? so julia's father uh name is named lorenzo he's kind of a tough looking fisherman doesn't say a lot uh but he yeah. is missing uh he's missing an arm um and one of the things that i love about this character is that you don't see a lot of uh disability represented in uh animation right it's just it's just not like it's just not there. Um, and the way that they handled uh, Lorenzo's uh, disability or, you know, a lack of one of his arms is uh, you're introduced to him. I think it's when he's cooking. And yep. so it's like, it's just a normal, he's just cooking. It's, there's no big deal. You know, I think he, he maybe had some kind of adaptation or something like that. Um, 
but then um when the kids the the two boys that are um also in like i forget i think it's the it's the sea monster uh boy he yeah asks, alberto like, what alberto so like what happened to your arm and so he's like well you know like a sea monster ate it <laughs> <laughs> you know and so it's like it brings that kind of humor in like well he was actually born that way right but um he has uh learned that he can just make a joke out of it it's just who he is it's no big deal um he isn't overcoming anything uh he didn't like you know there wasn't any sort of subplot it's like oh if only i had my other arm i could fish better <laughs> like no he just goes out and he does what he does it, he is who he is and uh nobody really comments on it except for that you know that one like what happened you know like what happened to your arm you yep. know and it wasn't like oh i was born this way you know and so uh, i really love the way they handled it um i really love to see uh, this is just in general, like I I love to see films where there's like someone with an obvious disability, whether it's, you know, they're using a wheelchair or maybe, you know, they have Down syndrome or, you know, maybe you could see there's something a little bit different about them, but it's not like the main thing. Right. It's not their main character trait. Right. It's just, you know, they're there, you know, and everyone treats like everyone is like, this is normal like this yeah. is life. And so um I love that that uh Lorenzo is that way. So there you go. That's my number 4. Not actually a disabled character like uh someone playing um not someone with a disability playing uh a, a disabled character, but I I still think it it kind of felt real enough. Sure. And it's uh number 1 great character. I loved him in that movie. I love that movie in general. And you're right, with animation, you rarely see disabilities on screen. So good call there, especially when it's not the impetus of their journey, that that disability. And if you want more of Lorenzo, there is a Pixar short that recently came out called uh, Ciao Alberto. I don't know if you've seen that yet. No. So this is a it's a six minute short. It's on Disney Plus right now. It's all about um, Alberto and Lorenzo's relationship after the uh, after what happens with the other two children which you'll have to watch luca to, to find out uh it shows how these two spend some time together and it's a pretty touching six minute short so i would recommend when you can get the kids uh together at some point watch that it's good yeah yeah oh awesome thank you for that um so for my number four i will also go with a similar disabled character uh the character's name is john j mccready played by Spencer Tracy in Bad Day at Black Rock from 1955. There aren't many towns like this in America, but one town like it is enough. And because I think something kind of bad happened to him, something they can't quite seem to find a handle to. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, I know this much. The rule of law has left here and the guerrillas have taken over. Somebody's always looking for something in this part of the West. This place is our West, and I wish they'd leave us alone. I swear you're beginning to make me mad. All strangers do. No, they don't. No. Some do when they come around snooping. Snooping for what? I don't know. Outsiders coming in looking for something. Looking for what? I don't know. 
Four years ago, something terrible happened here. We did nothing about it, nothing. Now something terrible's gonna happen again. They're gonna kid you with no hard feelings. Spencer Tracy in this plays this war veteran, John J. McCready, and he also has one arm. And he rolls into this small town via train looking for a man named Comico, who, who is supposed to be there. And he starts asking around and, and people start shutting him down at every turn. And then he starts to realize that there's something going on, that nobody wants to help him find the man that everybody should know in a town this small. And then they're actively working against him to drive him out of town. And what I mean by that is like, he tries to get a, a hotel room and they're like, uh, nope, sorry, no vacancies. And there's nobody there. Uh, and then he tries to get a car and nobody will will give him a ride. And everybody's just actively working against him. And he, as the character, is very similar to Lorenzo in that people aren't commenting on his arm. But we later on find out that because the movie takes place in 1945, we find out he lost his arm in World War II. And before he came on this journey, before he came on this trip to this town, he was feeling really down on himself because he had lost that arm. But the mystery and his treatment in this town lit a new fire underneath him to, to just bring back life to him again. We get to see the strength of this character as um, he gets into a fight with a guy named Trimble, played by Ernest Borgnine. And he tries to get physical. Borgnine thinks that he is going to easily be able to beat up McCready. But, of course, McCready beats him down with one arm just to show his his strength. It's a really tight, suspenseful, modern, western, noir-type movie and is very good. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor for Spencer Tracy. And this was one of nine total Academy Award nominations for Spencer Tracy. So that guy was all over the awards wow. circuit back then. But yeah, it's a, it's a really great movie. And it's it's not a happy story as you see the mystery unfold, but it's a very good movie. That's Bad Day at Black Rock from 1955. That's my number wow. four. Um, oh, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Um, okay, so I guess it's my turn. Number three, I'm going to go with a new film. Um, that I just recently saw uh, from 2020, the character Chloe in the movie Run. <laughs> you do everything for me. You teach me. You cook for me. Am I a burden? Sweetheart, I could do more. I'm your mom. It's my job to take care of you when you need me. And you need me. Are you okay, Mom? Of course I'm okay. I have you. Oh, gosh. Okay, so this is a thriller. It is uh, directed by... I'm going to butcher this director's name. Uh, Anish Chiganti. And this, the film stars Kira Allen, who is uh, apparently still in college. Uh, but she is uh, actually a wheelchair user. And um, what it is, is the uh, the mom who plays, uh, who's played by Sarah Paulson, 
the premise is um, Chloe is a disabled homeschooled teenager. So she's about to go to college. Um, the movie opens with um, Sarah Paulson's character uh, having a baby that is in the ICU. And she's asking like, it, you know, is she going to live, you know, and mm-hmm. she's looking around and the, the doctors are not saying anything. And so it kind of cuts to, um, Chloe as a, as a, a teenager, 17 ish year old. And, um, you know, they're, um, just living normal life. Um, you know, going through the routine, uh, Sarah Paulson is, you know, taking care of her, giving her meds, uh, stretching her kind of stuff. But Chloe is definitely like very self-sufficient, super smart um, at being homeschooled. You know, she has a routine, you know, she's, you know, doing biology, she's doing, you know, physics or, you know, whatever 17 year olds uh, are doing in homeschool. Yeah. And so, um, and then every day the mail comes, right? And the man, and so she wheels herself as fast as she can to the front door because they they've applied for colleges, and so the mom is like, um, "Well, you know, if I get a college letter, I'll let you know." You know, and and <laughs> Chloe's like, "Give me," you know, and so she runs, you know, she um, wheels herself to the front door as soon as the mom comes in with the letter, the the letters, and she's like, "Oh, sorry, there's nothing there." So the kind of um, it starts off as like you can see this very loving relationship, but you can start to see the mom being very controlling and, um, you know, acting very suspiciously and trying to, you know, hide things from Chloe and Chloe is a smart girl. So, um, she just starts to kind of push back on that a little bit. And, um, so her mom comes home with a new medication, um, and gives it to her. And she's like, uh, the and and Chloe um actually is like rifling through uh she has Chloe has a number of uh disabilities so not only you know are her legs um like she can't walk and she uses the wheelchair but she also has like diabetes and you know like this heart murmur thing and so um you learn that she has a lot of like health issues and yeah. so one of the things is um she really loves these chocolates and so um uh, her mom like drops the groceries on the table and Chloe goes in and rifles around for the chocolates. And as she's doing that, uh, she sees a uh, medication um, container, but it doesn't have her name on it. It has her mom's name on it. And it's these little like green and gray pills. So later that night, the mom gives the Chloe these pills and she starts to question her, you know, like, Hey, like I, I saw, you know, I was looking for chocolates and I saw these on your, you know, your pills and the mom, you know, so, and we, we end up finding out, and this isn't a spoiler because it's the premise of the story. We end up seeing that the mom is actually kind of this Munchausen kind of syndrome type of thing where she Munchausen, Munchausen by proxy. So she's like trying to keep her sick. Right. But the great thing about this movie is that um, Chloe is seen as just uh, this badass, this strong badass um, who will do anything to figure out this mystery and this problem and realize like, wait a minute, 
this person who I've lived with for my whole life does, does not actually have my best interest in mind. And she fights back. So like that, um, I've been waiting to see this movie for, for so long. And, uh, this conversation we're having right now really forced me into watching it. Um, but I was so glad I did because it, it was just like (laughs) riveting, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, I love the thriller genre and, uh, it definitely delivered. It was, um, as a movie itself, I would say it's like only about, it's only 90 minutes. So it's not like a huge commitment, but, um, right around the 60 minute mark, I was going like, "Mm," you know, like it, (laughs) it, like it wasn't like a perfect 10, but like I, it had a great ending. So I think that it's, it's, uh, number one, it's a great movie. Uh, number two, it's got a badass disabled character, uh, who was actually, you know, is a wheelchair user. Um, so I think that it has a lot of things going for it for this conversation. All right. That's run from 2020. I think you can stream that on Hulu. That's a Hulu movie, right? It is. Yes. Two out of three of yours I haven't seen yet. So this is cool. My number three here is the second villain on my list. Of course, the first would have been Mr. No Legs. This is going to be my second villain on the list. Although there really are no good guys in this movie, you mentioned you like the thriller genre, and I'm wondering if you've seen Don't Breathe from 2016. Yo, I got our ticket out of here. Rumor is this guy is sitting on at least 300k. Boom! That's her guy. Wait, is he blind? We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Money's probably in there. Who's there? Stay right there. How many of you are there? It's just me, man, all right? Just let me go, please. Okay, I swear to God. It doesn't ring a bell, Jason. Oh, this one is good. This one's real good. You're going to want to watch okay. this one without the kids, though. Uh, so... <laughs> Don't Breathe is by Fede Alvarez, who uh, came into prominence really because of his Evil Dead remake, which was awesome. But uh, this one, he wanted to get back to a little bit of a smaller scale. And it's about these three degenerates that break into a blind man's house in order to rob him. But they get more than they bargained for. And Stephen Lang plays the blind man. And uh, his real name is Norman Nordstrom, but I think like IMDb just credits him as the blind man. Mm. And as the blind man, he is a great villain. Well, I, I wouldn't even say, well, okay, he's a villain for sure. But he's going up against people that you don't like anyway. And he uses his knowledge of his home and his space and his vicious Rottweiler to play foil to these trios, to this trio of kids. And at one point, he turns the lights off to give himself an advantage. Now they're they're in the dark. He can't see, but he knows the space. He knows the house. This is a really, really good thriller. I went and saw it in the theater. I knew nothing about it going in. And it has one of the coolest sound designs that you will ever hear in a movie. Hmm. When I was watching this, there's a moment where the blind man walks into a room 
And this is the, the in the very first part of the movie, so it's not spoiling anything, but the blind man walks into this room and the three people are in that same room and they know he's blind and he's trying to figure out if somebody's in his house and they're all holding their breath and he is being as quiet as he can. And the entire theater, like you could hear a pin drop in that theater because <laughs> of how quiet that scene is. And you're listening for like just little creaks and little breaths oh it's such a good scene it just helps so much with this heightened suspense yeah it's so good uh and the way that things play out in the movie is really interesting because i found myself flip-flopping as to who i wanted to root for until you get to a certain point of no return in the film and you you find out what's really going on but wow stephen lang is a fantastic actor and he really shines as the blind man here He's got this powerful menace to him. He's built like a rock to his. He's like so buff in this movie. And it's just cool to see this disabled blind man using the rest of his senses to get the drop on the intruders. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a man you don't want to mess with. They go in looking for 300 grand. And uh, let's just say some of them might not come out. <laughs> that's uh don't breathe from 2016 highly recommended that is fantastic okay okay um all right we're really only two more huh okay two left i told you that i i had a big list and i was just gonna end up picking them because i just couldn't i couldn't rank them so i'm looking <laughs> at my list right now the character ruben in the sound of metal this is your chart, Ruben. Now, as far as the volume that you can hear, you, on your right ear, were 28%, and on your left ear, you were 24%. That's why. On the left ear, you came in at 24%. Okay. No matter how loud I made the test, I could have put it at 11, you were still going to miss 70 to 80% of the words that I said. Okay. That is not good. Yeah, I see that. So what <clears throat> What can we do about it? How do I get it back? Well, um, you have to understand something here. Whether or not this is related to your exposure to noise or it's an autoimmune issue doesn't really matter. I understand I got a problem. I'm asking you what I can do about it. So Sound of Metal is the story of a, a musician um, a drummer, actually a heavy metal drummer who ends up losing his hearing pretty early in the, in the course of the film. Um, and, uh, it's, he and his girlfriend is like a, it's kind of like a white stripes thing, I guess. Uh, you know, the girl, um, uh, but reversed that the girl plays guitar and sings and, uh, Ruben is, uh, the drummer. And so they're on tour and all of a sudden during one of uh his uh one of their performances uh he gets that you know that ringing in the ears tinnitus uh but all of a sudden it just his hearing completely goes and so um Riz Ahmed plays Ruben um and Riz Ahmed is a fantastic actor period um yeah but and again he is not actually hearing impaired um but what I like about this character is um, that when you are abled, right, you know, whether you're 
you're able to walk or you're able to hear, you're able to see, and all of a sudden there is some sort of thing that happens, whether that's health or an accident or, you know, whatever, uh, and you become disabled, there is, there is a definite process in a, and um, a grief that happens because it's a, it's a major change. It wasn't like, you know, Riz was born deaf and like he was, you know, always a part of the, the, uh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Ruben. Um, it wasn't like Ruben was born deaf and he was included in this deaf community. Uh, right. But now he is thrust into uh, this community and he's not sure he really wants to be a part of it because, you know, he wasn't planning on losing his hearing. The sure. other thing that I really love about this film um is the process of him wanting to have his hearing back so he wants to have this operation and um I don't want to don't want to spoil too much of the film if if uh if y'all haven't seen it but uh it you know doesn't go as well as maybe he would have hoped um and that is often the experience of people uh, who have lost their hearing and then um you know, want to get this operation. And so um, the thing that uh, the, how the deaf community that he is now a part of embraces him and kind of uh, shows him how to move on and live in this, in where he's at and accept himself is just a beautiful um, story and a beautiful narrative. Um, and, it's one that I would hope people would watch and, and kind of absorb and learn from the, the disability community because that's a lot of, of what I tried to do with, um, our, you know, Think Inclusive and MCIE is really help people see things from a different perspective. Uh, and I think that this movie does that beautifully and the character uh, of Ruben. So uh, great movie, great character. Um, it was it was fantastic and that one is available on amazon that one won two oscars for sound and sound design i believe so you're in good hands there with two awesome movies that have to do with great sound design in don't breathe and sound of metal yeah it was uh yeah so those were real parallel the two left on my list are also academy award winning movies um I guess I'll roll into my number two here. And this is the first on my list that is a mental disability. And it's the character of Perry from 1991's The Fisher King. Okay, Jack, we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it's Monday morning and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer they can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. And I am that degenerate and remove your presence. I like New York in June. 
So this is a, a an underseen movie, I think, and it's really, really good. It stars Jeff Bridges as Jack Lucas. He plays this really narcissistic shock jock, like a Howard Stern type of dude. And he's just on top of the world. He's one of New York's biggest radio DJs back at a time when people still listen to the radio. And uh, he makes some on-air comments that are insensitive, just off the cuff. He doesn't think anything of it. But uh, he inadvertently prompts this unstable caller to commit a mass murder slash suicide at a New York City restaurant. So after this happens and he realizes that he may have been responsible or partly responsible for this tragedy, he's in a real bad place. And he goes to this dock and he's ready to end it all. He's a drunk at this point. He's just he he can't deal with the grief. And he's on the dock ready to kill himself when he runs into this man named Perry, played brilliantly by Robin Williams. And the two kind of like go on this journey together. The film itself is an interesting mix of drama, romance, comedy, and this King Arthur-like quest, because the name of the movie, The Fisher King, comes from this uh, King Arthur-type legend about the person charged with finding and keeping the Holy Grail. And Perry, this person who basically has what I would consider PTSD spawned catatonic psychosis thinks that he's on this mission to find the Holy Grail. And in his mission, he has to confront the red Knight. Their journey together starts as this arc for Jack because Jack's trying to find redemption, but it leads to some really interesting places when you find out that Jack may have had a hand in Perry's condition. But Perry as a character is really interesting too. He's funny, he's playful, but at the same time, he's carrying this really powerful burden in the form of the Red Knight, which when you find out what the Red Knight represents, it's it's really sad, but it also like you totally understand his mental instability. It's a great character. It's a great movie. This one was nominated for five Academy Awards. I think it won Best Actress in a Supporting Role. But it was also nominated for Best Actor for Robin Williams as Perry, Screenplay, Art Direction, and uh, Original Score. So The Fisher King, 1991. I will have in my number one, I'll have another mental disability. But this this one, I think, really highlights the uh, not only the reason for the mental disability, but the the journey that the two go on because of it. Yeah, it's a it's a great film. And it's 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 been a while since I've seen it, uh, but I've. I remember Robin Williams being absolutely uh, fantastic in this um, in this role. Oh yeah, it's a great pick. It's a great pick, and one that one that I need to see again uh, very soon. So I actually wavered back and forth because it, I did a little research on like what would be considered a disability, and I was like, I wonder if PTSD is considered one. Innately, it's not considered a disability unless it affects your your um, ability to function in society. And in his case, it definitely did. So I thought it fit the list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Yeah. Um, And I will say that, you know, mental illness in general or like mental health um, gets downplayed 
you know, when we talk about disabilities. And mm-hmm. so um, I think it's important to elevate those. So I, I think that this is definitely appropriate and um, the, a great choice. So, all right. So it's number one time, I guess, huh? Number one, your grand finale, Tim Viegas. What do you got at the top of your list? This is a 2005 film, uh, com, uh, dramedy, I guess you would say. It was an ensemble cast. It is a holiday film called The Family Stone. You don't have to be nervous. I'm not. They're going to love you. There's nothing harder than joining a family. He intends to give that girl my mother's wedding ring. Especially one like the Stones. She's got this throat-clearing tick. It's like she's digging for clams. Ready? Yeah, they're all watching, you know. They have a funny way of making you feel at home. Hello. You have a lovely home. All the better to entertain you, my dear. Don't dilly-dally there, pretty lady. We're all going to be down here talking about you. She is completely uptight. I am not sleeping with you in your bed, in your parents' house. Separate bedrooms. It's so silly. Are Everett and Meredith going to get married? Four words. Second second word. Beekeeper. Ring. Bride. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I've heard of the Family Stone, but this is another one I haven't seen. Okay, so this is a... This has got a big cast. It's got Diane Keaton, Craig T. Nelson, Dermot, uh, Dermot Mulroney, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker, Luke Wilson, Claire Danes, Rachel McAdams. Uh, but none of those are the ones I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about Tyrone uh, Giordano. And I'm sorry, Tyrone, if that's not how you say your name. <laughs> <laughs> so um, here's the premise. Um, the plot is a, it's a Christmas holiday film. Uh, family are coming in. I believe it's a New England town. Everyone's coming in um, to, um, you know, come home for the holidays, uh, for the Christmas holiday. And uh, what what ends up happening is the oldest son, who's played by uh, Mulroney, uh, brings his uh, big city uh, girlfriend played by Jessica Parker home because he wants to ask his mom for a ring to uh, marry uh, Je- uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, and so what we find out and really the, uh, the plot of the film is really not important to um, this character, uh, but the character of Tyrone is um, Thad, who is one of the brothers uh, in this family, it's uh, 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 Mulroney's brother, and Thad is deaf, uh, and he is gay. So the very first scene that 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 uh, in the movie is Thad and his uh, boyfriend, or um, even possibly husband. I I can't remember at the um, right now. But in two thousand five, it was it wouldn't be, it it wasn't obvious. Uh, sure. They drive up. And uh, they're, you know, coming into the house uh, and everyone greets them. And uh, Thad, who um, you don't know is deaf until uh, everyone starts signing to communicate with Thad. Um, But Thad, 
with some people who are deaf, um, their articulation is a little bit different. So you know right. that like their hearing is a little bit, uh, um, they may be hearing impaired. So uh, immediately you know that that uh, is hearing impaired. And also Tyrone uh, uh, Gio, Giordano is hearing impaired. So this is a a deaf person playing a deaf you know character. Um, and so throughout the film, what I love about this character um, in Thad, as far as like the drama and the comedy of it um, is really a minor part, but it's such a beautifully supporting um, character in, because everyone is just bananas, you know, like um, you have Sarah Jessica Parker is so high energy and, and uh, high strong, you know, high, uh, um, <laughs> just just like completely off the the chain right and then um you have um Rachel McAdams character who is um super judgy you know like really elitist you know like uh um looking at everyone and and you know uh, assuming the worst and stuff like that and you have Thad and his uh, boyfriend slash uh, husband, and they're just kind of like the normal people, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And kind of like are the straight, just really um, very even keel. And uh, there's a wonderful scene in the in the um, heart of the film where um, everyone, the the whole cast, is sitting down for um, uh, for dinner. And Sarah Jessica Parker is kind of explaining. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. Diane Keaton is uh, is kind of joking that like, well, you know, um, I kind of wish like all of my sons were gay because then they would never leave me, you know. <laughs> um, and, and then so Sarah Jessica Parker is like, oh well, but you don't you don't actually mean that, right? You don't actually mean that you wish your sons were gay, right? I mean, like, let alone, like, deaf, you know? Like, so she completely puts her foot in her mouth, but immediately the whole family, including, you know, Diane is like, looks at that and it's like, you are like the most normal person sitting at this table. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I love you exactly for who you are. And, um, I'm sorry if that's spoiling it, but uh, it was it's one of my favorite scenes of like all time. Um, we just recently rewatched it again because it, it's like a, a holiday movie that we uh, come back to every year. And um, it's such a beautiful character. It's such a beautiful way of uh, expressing acceptance. Um, and like they, you know, they changed like how they communicated as a family um, for Thad's benefit, you know, like everyone signed. Sure. Which was another beautiful thing. And uh, like, I don't know if you've heard those stories, you know, of like a class or a school, you know, uh, or a town, like learning how to sign just because of like one person, you know? Right. Like, right. And now like, uh, and I remember we were watching this, this film as a family. My youngest is uh, a fourth grader. She's nine years old. She's like, why is everyone, why is everyone signing? And I'm like, well, you know, they, if they were to talk 
and not sign, he would not be able to be included in that conversation. So rather than like, you know, we, we, they didn't want to exclude him. So everyone signs. And so that way that he knows, you know, what's going on and he can be included in that conversation. And it's like, Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Of course. You know? Um, But it was like, you know, that is what, you know, a lot of times like in, in our work, you know, uh, like we're working with a school or a teacher and they're like, well, why do I need to change what I need to do for one person? Like those are the, those are words I've actually heard come out of like an educator's mouth. Like, Mm. why do I need to change just for one person? And it's like, you know, like, um, that's not the way you look at it. Like if you actually (laughs) have a community, if you have a family, right. Like, why would you not do that? Why would you not change for one person or do things a little bit differently? Because, you know, it's not about just that one person. Like that whole family is different because they made the decision to include Thad that way, you know? Yeah. So that's my number one. Um, I, I, I knew it as soon as, um, as soon as I started making the list, it was going to be my number one. And so very happy to share that with you and with your audience. Is Sarah Jessica Parker the villain in this movie? Ooh, she sounds like it. It feels like it, but there, there's a little bit of redemption there at the end. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, <laughs> now I'm thinking like, okay, does she end up with the ring on her finger or not? I guess I have to watch it to find out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. All right. My number one is another this this is a great film. It's a movie that deals with both physical and mental disabilities. And it's one of the two major films that came out in 1978 that condemn war. This is not the more popular The Deer Hunter, but rather 1978's Coming Home, directed by Hal Ashby. She hurt when he hurt. She changed when he changed. She fell in love with him as he fell in love with her. But she was still another man's reason for coming home. I do not belong in this house. And they're saying that I don't belong over there. Bossy, when you're shouting at me. It's very scary for me. Maybe it's not going to work out with him. She's here because she loves you. It's true what he's saying, Bob. Don't tell me that, damn it! Jane Fonda, John Voigt, Bruce Dern. In a Jerome Hellman production, Coming Home. John Voigt is one of the main characters before, in my opinion, he kind of went off the deep end. Also has Jane Fonda in there and Bruce Dern, a young Bruce Dern, which is uh, pretty cool to see. Well, I guess he's not a young Bruce Dern in this, but he's younger than what a lot of people are used to now, seeing him in things like Hateful Eight. This is uh, focused on a woman named Sally, and her husband, Bob, played by Bruce Dern, is a Marine captain, and he goes off to the Vietnam War. And while he's overseas, at first, Sally is really nervous. She doesn't know how to live on her own. But as the days go by, she starts to become more independent. She starts to really like her independence. She like moves to a, an apartment by the beach, gets a sports car. She's just like kind of coming into her own. And 
After a friend's family member comes home with severe emotional problems from the war, she decides to volunteer at a local uh, VA. And it's at that VA that she meets Luke, played by John Voight. And he's a man who's come back from the war a paraplegic, so he is unable to walk. And the two really hit it off at first, and the rest of the film is really about their relationship growing and what's going to happen when Bob comes home, because Bob is eventually going to come home. And we'll start with talking about Luke here. When we first see Luke, he's confined to a bed. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's fully against the war now because of what happened to him. And after he meets Sally, he kind of gets this new lease on life and he gets his new wheelchair and he starts to kind of rebuild his life and he makes it his mission to stop others from volunteering for the war. And there's also a really poignant part of the film where we see him confront his disability to make love to somebody in a really touching scene because he's a paraplegic like he he can't do much, but he he does a lot with what he can. And then. Upon Bob's return, we see that Bob, he does come home injured because he was shot in the leg, but his disability is PTSD. Now, I didn't I didn't want to have two war PTSD movies on my list, and The Fisher King's a little bit different. So this one is brought on by the Vietnam War. He's angry. He's hair triggered. There's a really interesting tense scene where he's pointing a rifle at some people, and you don't know if he's going to pull the trigger or not. It culminates with the last scene, which is really something, and we intercut between Luke talking to, I think it's a high school, about the dangers of war and how he doesn't want people to go off to war, and it's intercut with a scene of Bob going for a swim, and that's all I'm going to say really about that ending because it's a really emotional scene, and John Voight was such a great actor, especially in that final speech. As he gets near the end of his speech, like you hear his voice cracking, you see the the tears welling up in his eyes. It's a really, really amazing scene uh, that's coming home from 1978. Uh, it won three Oscars. John Voight won Best Actor. Jane Fonda won Best Actress. And it won Best Screenplay as well. And then it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, uh, Best Director, and Best Editing. So... In total, wow. nominated for eight, one, three. It's a really, really fantastic movie, and I would suggest everybody see it. It's highly anti-war, so if you're, if that's not something you're into, you're probably not going to like the movie. But the performances are amazing, and I think it's a great movie. Yeah, that is interesting about John Voight. <laughs> yeah, that. I can't really watch him these days, but he's really, really good in this role. Wow, that's great. Oh gosh. Uh so yeah, have I did I see any of your picks? I think I saw The Fisher King. I think that's Yeah, that's... you saw The Fisher King. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> I'll run down the list real quick. Uh on your list from 5 to 1, you had The Ringer, uh Luca, Run from 2020, Sound of Metal and The Family Stone from 2005. I had Mr. No Legs from 1978, Bad Day at Black Rock from 1955. Don't Breathe, Coming Home, and The Fisher King from 1991. What were some of the honorable mentions? Just uh, maybe some some quick titles that didn't make your list, but you wish you could have put them on. So like the besides the obvious, like Forrest Gump and Rain Man and like Scent of a Woman, 
all that stuff. Um, yeah. Um, and also Sean Penn and I am Sam. Like, I think all of those are, you know, very good, you know, and inspiring, but a little bit, a little bit too inspiration porny for me. Um, um, <laughs> I, but... I hate I am Sam. So I'm glad you didn't put that on your list. I actively hate that movie. <laughs> um, so those are just the things that were like, you know, were on top of mind. Um, I really, um, so this is a really strange one. So Mac and me, are you you're familiar oh, with yeah, Mac yeah, and yeah. me, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the boy in Mac and me, Mac in Mac and me <laughs> actually is a wheelchair user. Uh, I believe he had spina bifida. So, um, again to, you know, it was kind of a shame that it was such an awful movie. Uh, uh, especially for the boy, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that having like authentic disability representation in a uh, movie that was a you know ET knockoff was like way ahead of its time. So I just wanted to throw that out there, and um, I will tell you the only way I actually have seen that movie is the uh, Mystery Science Theater version. So <laughs> I think That's... it's worth seeing it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably an okay way to see this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, not really a recommended uh, watch by itself. Um, the other one is um, uh, Christopher Reeves' version of Rear Window. Um, I remember watching that in '98. Um, it might have been on video. It might have been on TV. I don't remember. Yeah, I think exactly. that was a TV movie. Yeah, yeah. But I do remember it because, again, I was obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, so I like like anything like the just the little drips off the table. I was just like, whatever, I'm I'm just going to soak it all in. And that happened to be. And uh, again, this is way be be, way before I even thought about disability in, uh, you know, representation. But that's another example, an early example of uh, actually disabled character uh, bringing to light you know, in a thriller. Uh, now, I don't think it was very good. Uh, I rewatched the trailer and I'm like, ooh, this, you know, this looks a little not <laughs> it's got very a good, good cast, though. But it, yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, you know, it might be worth checking out, you know, if you, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> and then I, I uh, asked my kids, I'm like, so, you know, we were at dinner and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast. What do you think? Like when you think about disabled characters. And so my my daughter um, was like, well, what about Winter the Dolphin? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not familiar. Okay, all right. So, Dolphin Tale is a uh, true. Uh, it's a movie, but it's a true story of a uh, dolphin that that uh, got beached on Clearwater, uh, Florida, you know, like near Tampa. Um, they uh, brought the dolphin to this rehabilitation center. They ended up amputating the tail off of this dolphin. And so everyone was like, oh, you know, so, you know, this dolphin isn't going to make it. Well, it ends up happening that um, it ends up working out that um, a local, um, I don't know what you call them, a doctor that that builds prosthetics for like people who who lose limbs Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. came and made a prosthetic for the dolphin. So it was a prosthetic tail. And um, and so the story is how this team of of people, including, you know, kids um, put, you know, create this prosthetic tale and save the the rehabilitation center from closing down or whatever. But anyway, so not exactly. I mean, it's a true story based on a true story. Um, but I 
it's a great movie. My kids loved it. And I was like, I guess you're right. I guess that is. And, and the actual animal was used uh, in that. And unfortunately, Winter the Dolphin uh, recently passed. So rest in peace, Winter the Dolphin. Uh, but a great movie, you know, a uh, great family movie. Anyways. Um, yeah. So I think that I think that rounds up my honorable mentions. All right. I got a couple that weren't mentioned that I will throw out there. Professor X uh came to mind he's confined to a wheelchair i did not choose him ultimately but uh he was near the top of my list as was you mentioned uh lorenzo and luca the other disney character that came to mind for me was nemo from finding nemo oh my gosh you're right his fan uh let's see born on the fourth of july tom cruise's character i didn't put it on there because i had coming home on there and it's a really great role for Cruise, but I just I couldn't put two World War or um, Vietnam War movies on there. You mentioned Christopher Reeve in Rear Window. He was also in a movie called Above Suspicion from 1995, and he plays a paralyzed cop who takes advantage of the sympathy he attracts in order to do some misdeeds. So that's mm. a, a pretty good role for him. Hear No Evil is one with Marley Maitland that... Uh, she plays a deaf character in that. I mean, she's deaf in real life and, and plays right, a character yes. who's being terrorized because she's deaf. So could have been one that I put on my list for somebody with an actual disability. She was in a lot of movies, actually, and she was great. Um, Blind Fury with Ruger Hauer. This is like total trash movie, but I have so much fun with it. He just plays this blind ninja <laughs> that comes back from Vietnam and, and decides to take on a major crime syndicate with swords. The poster itself <laughs> is hilarious, but uh, I didn't want to put that on there because I already had a crazy action movie with Mr. No Legs, and I think that one is a better representation anyway. Uh, Tim, where can... Obviously, people can listen to the podcast on anywhere they can get their podcast. I'm subscribed on uh, Apple Podcasts, but you can get it anywhere. Where else can people see the work that you do? Uh, so I'm I'm pretty easy to find uh, on socials and and everything. But um, thinkinclusive.us is uh, the blog that I run. Um, I'm that I'm editor of, uh, and we are the official blog of uh, the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. So thinkinclusive.us or mcie.org, and we're you know, on all the major social media. Um, but I would highly recommend if you are listening to this podcast, uh, take, you know, take a listen to the Think Inclusive podcast. We have um, a lot of very interesting people, uh, it, especially if you're um, interested in education. I think you would enjoy it. Who did we miss on our list on your top characters with disabilities? Let me know. Let Tim know at force five pod on Twitter at force five podcast on Instagram and your comment might just make it to the show. And as we get closer to the holidays, I know you're probably going to have a hankering for some Christmas horror. So go over to letterbox.com backslash force five and check out my definitive list of all holiday horror over 170 Christmas horror movies. Check that out there. And of course, if you liked what you heard on this show and others, please review it wherever you listen to your podcast and tell your friends to listen to. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go check out some awesome movies with disabled characters. Music